0: Good morning, Parkway Church. How y'all doing today? Good. So happy to see you, whether you're gathered at Parkway Online or Parkway Victoria, we are so glad you're here. Say, hey, Mike, why aren't you saying hi to Parkway Lone Tree or hi to Parkway Port Lavaca? Well, you just heard it. We've got live preaching happening at each of our campuses this month. Pastor Kim is right now preaching, <laughs> preaching this exact same message at Parkway Lone Tree. And Russell is preaching today at Parkway Port Lavaca. So we're excited to see how the Lord uses these next few weeks in the life of our church and how we can uh, share the teaching. And it's going to be an exciting time, which means you get a whole lot of me this month. Russell will preach next week here, but other than that, you get a whole lot of me here this month. And I don't hear clapping right now, so I'm kind of a little frustrated by it. You know, I don't know. So when you go on vacation, hypothetically for some, when you go on vacation, are you a planner or are you more spontaneous planning people? Raise your hand for me. Oh yeah, I love you people. And then the spontaneous fun people, the people I wish I was, (laughs) right? I ask because today we're going to talk about God's simple plan for your life. And whether you're a planner or you're more spontaneous, I'm going to show you from God's word what his plan is for you. And it's just that simple. And we're going to look in the book of First Thessalonians together. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to look at God's plan for your life. And it's a simple, simple, simple strategy. Planning today is easier than it's been ever in life. And I'm going to make your plan for your life the easiest plan possible. Back in the day, if you were a vacation planner type person... It took planning to be a planner. Christy and I got married, and and, and isn't that good news? Your pastor's married to his wife? Anyway, uh, Christy and I got married. Like, it didn't happen last week. It happened 23 years ago. But 23 years ago, when Christy and I got married, my dad made the offer to pay for our honeymoon. At the time, I was the student pastor of this startup church in the mall, so I didn't have, like, honeymoon money. And my dad offered to pay for our honeymoon. I was like, that's the best offer ever, and and we actually get to get on an airplane for our honeymoon instead of just getting in the geo tracker. It's going to be great. And so dad gives me a budget, and he says, make your plan and let me know what you need. And so back in the day, just 23 years ago, to plan a trip, you know what I had to do? I had to go to a man's office and sit in front of this gentleman and say, I would like to go to Cancun. And he would pull out of this manila folder filing system a brochure for Cancun. And he would flip through it and he would say, do you want to stay at this hotel? Nope, that's beyond my budget. Do you want to stay at this hotel? Nope, the roaches are bigger than my spouse there. No, I, I don't, I don't want to stay there. The, the, I, no, not, not that place, not that place. And he would flip us through the brochures until we would finally find the spot that worked for us. And people that have the whole internet on their phone, like the whole information for all the world, you're like, how in the world did you function back in the day? Well, that's why people didn't go anywhere. Because you had to ask for help. That's why we didn't travel. That's why, we were just here. Like, Mike, what in the world does that have to do with the Word of God? I'm asking myself the very same question. Here it is. The plan of God. For you can be known by you. Without the aid of a travel agent, without an appointment with a man or a woman, without the aid of the things of the past, you can know the plan of God for your life today, here and now. Because we're going to turn in the Bible to learn it together. We're going to look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is one of the books that Paul wrote to the church. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and he wrote to this church to encourage them. This was a church that was paying a personal price for their faith. They were being persecuted because they are believers in Jesus. And because they were living their faith publicly, they were paying a price for their faith. And so Paul's going to write to this church, and he's going to encourage them. He's going to encourage them to build their life around one thing, and that one thing is love. And he's going to encourage them to keep their faith from growing stale so that their faith is always fresh. And he's going to give them a measuring stick, a singular measuring stick for the quality of their faith. And the quality of their faith would be measured by the quality of their love. And so today, as we enter vacation mode living, we're going to talk about how to love always. And we're going to talk about how love is central to a fresh faith. As we look at loving always, the first fill in the blank that I want you to fill in for me today is that we need to escape stale faith. We talk a good talk sometimes when it comes to our faith in God. But what the Bible's about to give us is a test for the true freshness of our faith. Has our faith grown grown stale? Or is our fra- faith... Wow, that's, it's hard to say faith and fresh, apparently, for me right now. Is our faith stale? Or is our faith fresh? Is our faith growing things because it's hidden in a dark closet pantry or is our faith fresh and we're growing through things because our faith is alive and real Paul tells the church in Thessalonica just like I tell you today don't let your faith grow stale in fact we're gonna we're gonna escape stale faith type of living as we learn to love God and we learn to love people you ever eaten anything stale? I have. The other day I had a sinus infection, ate a piece of bread that had been in the pantry a little too long, felt better in two to five days. It's great. It's great. We don't want our carbs to be stale. But the most important thing in your life to make sure is fresh is your faith. Listen to what Paul writes here, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3. We always thank God for all of you continually, mentioning you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is there's such a thing as a faith that is fresh, and that's producing something in your life. Stale faith produces nothing. Fresh faith produces two things. The first thing that Paul teaches us, fresh faith produces work. If your faith is fresh, your faith in the Lord Jesus is fresh, God will be working through you. Listen to how Paul writes it. There is a work produced by faith james says that faith without works is dead and that's a reminder to the believer that if your faith is fresh and alive and you're living according to the faith that you hold on to in the lord jesus your faith will be producing work you will be used by god as your faith freshens The second thing we know that fresh faith produces is it produces something inside of you. Paul says that because of fresh faith, they have endurance inspired by hope. So if our faith is fresh, we not only will have God working through us, but we'll see God working in us, and he'll provide something very specific for all of us. It is a hope. That only He can provide. Friends, fresh faith works. Stale faith doesn't. But fresh faith produces God's work through you and God's work in you. It makes for a very simple test. How fresh is your faith based on what God is doing through you right now? How fresh is your faith? based on what God is doing in you right now. We will escape stale faith. We remember the work produced by faith. We are prompted by love and the endurance and the inspiration that comes with hope. Friends, fresh faith works. Let me drive it home for South Texas world. Is your faith like a freshly produced off the conveyor belt, H-E-B tortilla? Is there anything better than a bag of tortillas from H-E-B that still has the condensation on it? Because you know they're hot. Or is your faith like that tortilla you bought from H-E-B two weeks ago? It's still in the pantry. It's buried deep beneath the stuff That you really want to eat. And you pull it out and it's hard and it's crispy and it's growing something. Which faith are you living right now? That fresh faith that produces work and gives hope? Or that old stale faith that produces nothing? Second thing Paul's going to tell the church and us to do. Is to get away from dead religion. As we look at learning to love always, one of the things that we're going to see is that God invites us not to a religious life, but to a faithful life. God calls us not to a religious life, but to a life of loving him and loving people. So we're going to get away from dead religion. As you consider your faith right now, not only can we look at our tortillas to determine our faith, but do you see a life living for God like a roller coaster or a lazy river? Like, think about roller coaster type faith. How many of y'all would ride this roller coaster? How many roller coaster people? Oh, yeah. You know what these people know? These people know that you could get on a roller coaster. They latch you in. They cinch you down to, I mean, one point past pain, right? They, like, tighten you into that seat. Just when you think it's tight enough, they come back. Break every rib in your body, but you know that you're safe. And then that takes off from zero to 100 in 1.2 seconds. Your heart rate goes up. The adrenaline spikes. You're going, woohoo! You, you're an accountant. You would never say woo-hoo in any other area of your life, and yet there you are. And you know that you are 100% safe but you're living outside your comfort zone. You know that this ride is not controlled by you, and you're going to go through it, and you're going to come to the end, and you're going to say, let's do it again, let's do it again. Is your faith like a roller coaster? Or is your faith like a lazy river? Lazy rivers can be fun too, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to a picture of our faith, are we simply laying in an inner tube, being pushed by the currents and the whims of our day? are we on an exciting journey with Jesus where we are escaping dead religion? See, our journey with Jesus should be an out-of-the-comfort-zone, pushing-the-limits experience. Our journey with Jesus shouldn't be something that is old and stale, but should be something that's living and exciting where a woo-hoo comes every now and again because we are seeing His faithfulness and we're trusting His goodness on a daily basis. Listen to how Paul writes about the faith that is alive. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 4-6. For we know, brothers and sisters, that's believers, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power. With the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in your midst, in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Paul says the reason that we escape stale faith and we get away from dead religion is because the relationship that God offers you in Jesus Christ is anything but stale and anything but dead. You believed a message. It came with words. But when you believe that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and Jesus is the Savior of the world, you weren't simply stepping into an ideology. You weren't simply stepping into a religion. You were stepping into a relationship that comes with power. You weren't just saying yes to an idea, you were saying yes to the God of the universe. You weren't just saying yes and making an intellectual assent to someone that that is greater than you. You were saying yes to the God of the universe, and he comes not just with his word, but with his power. And this power is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And this Holy Spirit, this power, not only does it bring the grace of God, but it brings into the life of every believer deep convictions so that you're able to test how you're living and test and see whether you're living to please God. So this is not a dead religion that you simply ascribe to a new idea. This is an alive faith in God with the power that says your life is so changed that what you believe and how you live, the very convictions, the very foundation of your life will be changed. And these deep (laughs) convictions result in us being imitators of God. These deep convictions change us from simply being an improvement of ourselves To being an imitator of God. So, question. Is your religion dead or alive today? Is your religion leading you to simply being a better version of yourself? Or is your relationship with God leading you to be an imitator of Christ himself? You 2.0 is not what you need Jesus living in you, Christ crucified. The life you now live is not your own, but by faith in the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. That's what you need. You 2.0 doesn't change a thing. Jesus' power and convictions, you being imitator of Christ, that changes everything. And it is not dead religion, friends. It is an alive relationship with God. As you look at vacation mode living, let's make it real simple. When it comes to loving God, true vacation mode living is learning how to live in relationship with God and relationship with people. Paul's going to make it so simple that even I can get it. Your relationship with God, the freshness, your relationship with God, the power, is all about loving him and loving people. Your love for God and your love for people are forever linked. If you say you love God, you show it by loving your brother or your sister. If you say that you love people, it's because you have a loving relationship with God It's not just about a religion or a ritual. It's about having a fresh faith that empowers you to do two things when it comes to loving always. And these two things, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us that we should do more and more. If you're ever told in Scripture that you should do something more and more, you know what you should do? You should do it more and more. Thank you very much. And if you're told twice in the very same book to do something more and more, these two things should become the priority of our lives. So we're going to escape stale faith. We're going to get away from dead religion. So what are we going to do? First thing, fill in this blank. We're going to live to love God. Paul's going to tell us in just a moment that our love for God should increase. And that we should do this more and more. Love God with our life. Live to love God. Please Him more and more. It is a simple strategy for living. I'm going to live to love God. If we are going to be people who have a fresh faith and a powerful relationship with God. We don't put God in a box and say, I relate to you from 11 to noon on Sundays. But instead we say, my entire life is about loving you. My first and only priority is to love you, Lord Jesus. First Thessalonians 4 verse 1. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, who is paying a price for their faith, there are some things you're doing to show your love for God. You're living to love God. We see it in your lives. You're already doing it. Now what do you do? Do it more and more. You're loving God with your life. Do it more and more. It means our pursuit of living to love God never, ever stops. Our pursuit of living to love God has no expiration date. That's our chief goal forever and for always. And the challenging thing is, if the church in Thessalonica, who is being persecuted and paying a price for their faith, could live to please God, How much more should the church of the 21st century live to please God? If the church that is being persecuted and paying a price for their faith can live to love God, how much more should the country club Christians of today's church live to please and to love God? How much more? More and more, friends. And it is a personal decision that you and I make. Say, Mike, did you just call me a country club Christian? Not all of you. How do you do it? How do you live in order to please God? Well, there's this question you can ask. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you're about, simple question Does this please God? If we're going to live to please God more and more, we must ask the question, does this please God? And if it doesn't, stop. If it doesn't, don't continue on. If it doesn't, make a change. If it does please God, what do you do? You do it more and more. Keep reading 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Paul tells us how we can live this life that's pleasing to God. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I know what God's will is for you in every situation and in every circumstance. And now you do too. Are you looking at making some decisions? What's God's will for my life? What's he want me to do for a living? Where does he want me to live? Who does he want me to date and marry? What are God's big questions? or What are the questions you have for God right now? Or you're pursuing the will of God for your life. We just found it together. What's God's will for your life? It's to live to love God. By rejoicing always. I'm going to choose joy That's not circumstantial, but it's based on my relationship with Jesus. No one but Jesus controls my joy, so I will find my joy and put my joy in him. That's God's will for your life. What's God's will for your life? I'm going to pray continually. I'm going to have the peace that passes all understanding because I am praying to God and he is guarding my heart and my mind. What's God's will for your life? that you give thanks in all circumstances because you are living a life with God that has power. And you are living a life with God that is fresh and real. You say, Mike, your simple strategy for me to live the will of God is to have joy, to pray, and to be thankful no matter what I'm going through. Well, that is not my strategy for you to live the will of God. That is God's strategy for all of us to live the will of God. You see, Mike, that didn't answer my question, though. I don't know who to marry or where to work. I don't know where to live. I've still got questions. And God says it's not about you simply getting your questions answered. It's about you living to love me. So will you choose joy? Will you pray and trust me? Will you be thankful no matter what you're going through? Seek me first is what God is saying. In fact, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added unto you. Everything that you're pursuing, everything that you're seeking that's godly and best for you will be added to you, but you must seek God first. And not second things first. So I'm going to choose joy. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be thankful. And I'm going to trust that God will open doors. I'm going to trust that God will work in my life. I'm going to trust that God will provide wisdom and insight. And I'm going to do my part by asking the simple question, Does this please God? See, you can live to love God. And then the second you can learn to love people. If our relationship with God is fresh, and alive, and powerful, I'm gonna live to love God, and I'm gonna learn to love people. Anybody ever have a crazy dream? Like it's not even connected to reality, but you have this dream, and you're like, and it's a reoccurring dream? Just me? I've got one reoccurring dream. I haven't had it in a while, Thankfully, but for a number of years, I had this dream over and over and over again. I had a dream that I was back in college or I was in graduate school and that I'd signed up for a class that I never attended. And that I would realize that the final was coming up and I'd never attended this class, never submitted any pap- like papers or projects or anything for this class. I was well past the drop date. I would lose my money and I would get an F. And I'm sitting there in my dream having this moment because I'm about to fail a class that I never signed up for. And I wake up and I'm like, "Whoo! I'm glad I'm not in college anymore. I'm glad I'm not graduate. I'm glad I'm not pursuing my PhD or anything, but in that moment, in that dream, that is a real moment of fear, but in bottom line, when it comes to college education, I am done learning, and so I can wake up from that dream and know that was a nightmare that I don't have to be fearful of experiencing in my day-to-day life. There's one area in my life that I'm never going to stop learning. You know what that is? It's learning to love people. You would think that having been married 23 years, having been walking with Jesus for almost 30 years, that I would know how to love people by now. But you know what? Paul's about to tell us that we never, ever, ever stop learning how to love people. That we learn how to live for God more and more. And we also learn how to love people more and more. 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Listen to how Paul affirms them. He says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. So this idea of learning to love people is God teaching us to love people His way. So I am never, ever, ever done learning to love people God's way. That's why I can have hope in every relationship, because I can learn how to love people like God loves people. That's why I look at my kids and look at them as they've grown older. I look at every age and every life stage that they'll enter. I'm going to continue to learn to love them. It won't always be easy, but it's not always easy for God to love me. So I'm going to learn to live like God lives, and I'm going to learn to love like God loves. If we looked at your life right now, who's teaching you how to love? Can you say that God's teaching you how to love because you're loving with things like compassion and kindness, forbearance? You're loving with things like patience and understanding? You're learning to love in such a way that it breeds peace in your house instead of war? Who's teaching you how to love? In fact, Paul says that this learning to love people is the second thing that we should do more and more. I got a question for you. When it comes to your relationship with God, do you see your love for people as essential? It's it's one thing to say, God, I want everything I do in my life to please you more and more. Will you also come alongside and say, God, I want my love for people to grow more and more. I want my love for people to show that I'm living for you more and more. It gives me hope because there are times when I fail relationally. With my wife, with my kids, with my friends, there are times that I fail relationally. And God comes in and says, hey, let me teach you more and more. There are times when we don't get it right, and God comes in and says, That's okay, let me teach you more and more how to love people. Friends, if our faith will be fresh and our faith will be powerful, we must learn God's simple plan. And it can be summed up like this Will you live for me? Will you let me teach you how to love people? with power and deep conviction. Will you live for me and will you let me teach you how to love people so that you are seen as an imitator of Christ because that's what you are. That's God's simple plan. Live to love God and learn to love people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the word and to be challenged and grow together today. God, I pray that you would help us more and more to live to please you. God, I pray that you would help us more and more to learn to love people. God, this great call you have on our lives can seem overwhelming, can seem impossible, can seem unreachable by people like us. And so, God, I just pray you encourage us with more and more living for you and love for people. God, would you remind us that no matter where we are, there's a more and more that we can live for you. No matter where we are, being successful, struggling with love for people, there's more and more that you can do in us to love people. You can teach us to do it right. Church, as you pray, maybe in this moment, you need to admit that you've been living for some things that aren't God first. Confess that and commit to Him to live for Him first. Ask Him to teach you how to love people. Are you struggling to love someone with compassion and kindness and forgiveness? Are you struggling to love someone where your love for them has grown stale and cold? Ask God to teach you how to love them more and more. And as you do, as the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I encourage you, your first step isn't simply to say, God, I want to live for you and I want to learn to love like you love. Your first step is to believe that God loves you, sent his son for you to demonstrate his love for you, and that Jesus died in your place so that you could be forgiven and live with him forever. This is the gospel. These are the words you put your faith in. God loved you and gave his son for you. He died and was raised again from the dead to offer you life. If today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.